Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Uh, the legendary Delmarie Cobb's on deck. We're going to take a break and we're going to bring her on right after this. And now the list of things that you can buy at the Chicago Reader store at chicagoreader.com. Things to wear like Chicago Reader hats, T-shirts, bandanas, and face masks. Things for your daily life like the Chicago Reader camping mug, Chicago Reader tote bags, and a Chicago Reader reporter's notebook. Things for you to read like our Reader recipes, the Chicago Reader 420 Companion, our Chicago Reader Best of book series from journalists Maya Dukmasaba, Mike Sula, Ben Jarofsky, and Lior Galil, the Chicago Reader coloring book, and the Chicago Reader stay home puzzle. Find the Chicago Reader store at chicagoreader.com and show your support for the nation's first free weekly news paper since 1971 Welcome back to the Ben Jarofsky show. Live from his attic. Yes, indeed. From my attic. I just let the train go by. As long as I've been uh, in front of a microphone, Delmarie Cobb has been a guest on my show. Uh, I consider one of the smartest and most insightful political strategists in the city of Chicago. And I don't just say that because we agree about 99% of things. Okay. <laughs> like David Moore and I, there's some things that Alderman David Moore said I disagree with. I, I like David Moore. I think he's a, a gentleman. Uh, but uh, Delmarie Cobb and I pretty much have every conversation. Yeah, you're right. You're right. So uh, welcome back to the show, Delmarie. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. All right. Before we take uh, get a look at the local issues, let's just start with some national stuff. I know you're dying to talk about this one. And I had a field day with it last week myself. Our dear friend, uh, Delmarie <laughs> Cobb, and I have a just equal love for uh, Mayor Rahm <laughs> I can't even get it out. <laughs> that joke out of my mouth. Uh, Mayor Rahm, who's always looking out for Mayor Rahm, uh, is positioning himself to be ambassador. I'm not even certain it's going to happen, although you, Delmarie, put something in my head when we were talking before we went on the air that they got a little plan. There's like <laughs> there's a method to this madness with uh, Ambassador Rahm Emanuel. Explain to people what you think their plan is or uh, that they're following to get him to be the ambassador to Japan. Well, Rahm Emanuel and those who have worked with him over the years, there's an MO that they use on a regular basis. And I'm fortunate enough to know the MO and I've been able to take advantage of it to help my clients. But it was said that the announcement for him to be the ambassador to Japan would come later in the month that it had. So we have a trial balloon that's being floated so we can get the temperature of how this is going over, especially with the progressives. But then we're going to make the announcement later this month. And I figure that means around the holidays when people's attention 
is somewhere else. And so then it, it will be a done deal. You come back after the holidays and it's done. And so what can you say about it at that point? And so one of the things I'm doing is writing a column so I can try to get it out before the holidays because I just want to be on record. I know I've written one already before, but I can't write it enough because obviously there's a group of people out there who are advocating for Rahm Emanuel to give him a second life, to allow him to reinvent himself and to uh, come out smelling like a rose after all the things that he did to the city of Chicago and specifically the black community. Hmm. Yeah. And, and I do, when I was listening to you about the people who advocate for him, explain this to me. Why the love for Rom? by so many people in the democratic establishment. I've never understood this. Uh, he's not a likable human being. So I don't believe any of them actually <laughs> like him. You know what I mean? Like David Moore is a very likable guy. I, I told you, I spent two hours with him or three hours, whatever it was in the car. We had a great time, you know? And it's, there are people you don't always agree with on every issue that are likable and you would, you know what I mean? You want to help them. But Rahm Emanuel is not a likable human being. So what is, what is it? that drives and motivates people in the, uh, the, the establishment wing of the Democratic Party to promote him? I think it's just that he's been loyal to them specifically. And I don't say he's been loyal to the Democratic Party or principles of the Democratic Party because he hasn't been necessarily loyal to the principles because I consider him a closeted Republican. Mm-hmm. Uh, like so many of our other mayors, in the city of Chicago have been closeted Republicans and somehow we allow them to get elected. Um, But he has been loyal in terms of he will do their dirty work. He doesn't mind being the, the bulldog or the pit bull. And so that's what they want. They want good cop, bad cop. He doesn't mind being the bad cop. And so we're going to reward him for that. It's a role he embraces, he cherishes, and he does a good job at it. You know, Delmarie, uh, you are a strategist uh, for Hillary Clinton. So, you know, the Clintons a lot better than I do. Have you ever had a moment where you just <laughs> shared with Hillary Clinton your feelings about Rom? Because, you know, he worked. If it wasn't for Bill Clinton, Rom wouldn't be Rom. He pretty much owes his, in my humble opinion, he owes his career to Bill Clinton. And I could go on and on about how Rom emulates Bill Clinton. He tries to. He's, I mean, Bill Clinton's the master, the maestro. And Rom tries sometimes to play that game. He can't quite do it. Have you ever shared your feelings with the Clintons about Rom? No. I, well, what I did do is I wrote a column years ago and uh, Congressman Danny Davis and I both uh, asked uh, President Bill Clinton to stay out of local politics, out of Chicago politics. I think when he was when he was endorsing Rahm Emanuel. But in terms of Hillary Clinton, I say that one of the reasons I was selected to be her press secretary for Illinois in 2016 is because I have been so vocal against Rahm Emanuel. Whoa. That's some political jujitsu that I didn't think of. <laughs> <laughs> I remember when Hillary's trying to distance herself from Rom. You're right. But in 2016, ladies and gentlemen, just going, Rom was a pariah. That was the height of the Kwame McDonald uh, scandal. 
where it was pretty obvious that he had concealed evidence of a murder. How he is still, by the way, uh, uh, a regular on the George Stephanopoulos show, uh, Del Marie Cop. How he is still considered uh, an enlightened pundit, uh, and how he's considered a, a a respectable candidate to be ambassador to Japan, one of the leading countries of the world, with this case of potentially concealing murder of concealing evidence of a murder. I will never understand, but yes, in 2016, that was very much the case. And so I see what you're telling me is that Hillary was very smart. She said, you know what? I'm going to distance myself from Rom by hiring Del Marie Cobb. And, is that and correct? what better way to do yes. it than somebody who has been as vocal against Rahm Emanuel as they come. And I have not hidden not for one second, what I think about Rahm Emanuel. And so I say that, that was one of the reasons I was chosen to be her press secretary. Because if you remember, she came out and said we needed a consent decree after Lisa Madigan had said it first uh, and and was talking about uh, having a monitor, if necessary, a federal monitor. And Rahm Emanuel dismissed Lisa Madigan. And immediately Hillary Clinton came out and said, no, it's a good idea. And the moment she said that, Rahm Emanuel changed his tune. Yeah. Isn't that interesting how that played out? By the way, when you talked about Danny K. Davis uh, appealing uh, to uh, uh, Bill Clinton, I just had this thought. Danny K. Davis is from Arkansas originally. I don't know if you know that, but he's from oh, Arkansas. Yeah. Bill Clinton's from Arkansas. I could just, Bill Clinton, while deny this is the maestro, this is the master. I'm sure while he denied uh, he got involved anyway in local politics, but he probably did it in such a way that won over Danny. You know, oh, Danny, I know you're, you know, you're Danny. Uh, <laughs> no, no, no. You know how Clinton would do that? Well, oh, you, know, know. you know, yeah. what's interesting, I was doing Bobby Rush's campaign for Congress in 1992. And I always say that none of my candidates ever became the nominee for president because I was supporting Jerry Brown. Uh, in 1992. And Bobby Rush was supporting Bill Clinton. And I was trying to figure out why are all these people supporting Bill Bill Clinton? Because my remembrance of Bill Clinton was the 1988 uh, Democratic Convention where I was press secretary for Jesse Jackson. And he did this speech that went on forever. <laughs> and so that was not a very good impression that was left with me. And I was like, why? And I actually lived in California. So I knew Jerry Brown because I lived in Los Angeles from uh, 1976 to 1978. And so I, I couldn't figure it out. And then I started asking everybody, why are you supporting Bill Clinton? And everyone I asked was a resident had been born in Arkansas. <laughs> All of them had been born in Arkansas. Yeah. Danny Davis, Bobby Rush, um, uh, John H. Johnson. Um, I mean, you just go down the <laughs> list. It was, I was in shock. Oh my goodness. That's hilarious. And Robert, you could add the Shaw brothers to that list. I think right. they're from uh, Robert Shaw, <laughs> Arkansas too. that Arkansas connection. And, and Bill Clinton had knew that and had over the years, he had groomed yeah. all those people over the years from 88 to 92, met with them uh, uh, and pulled together that um, Arkansas cabal. Yeah. No, I, I listen, we could do a whole show on Bill Clinton. I'm going to re, uh, resist the temptation to go down the road, <laughs> but I will say this. I, I went to 
this whole thing. I've turned against Bill Clinton. I've, I've met you and I've discussed this. I've turned against him. I feel uh, his behavior over the last 20 years is just inexcusable. Uh, having said that, I must confess I was under his spell. I'm not going to lie and make it. I I am not even from Arkansas. Okay. My father's from Arkansas, but I'm not from Arkansas. And so I got no excuse like Danny K Davis does. Uh, But I remember 92 so well, the presidential uh, debate, Jerry Brown went hard at Bill at Hillary Clinton for some conflicts of interest in her law firm. I remember the debate. I think it was in Chicago and then Bill Clinton, I just I, I knew Delmarie what a master he was because he you can say nasty things about me but don't say anything about my wife and I'm like oh my god <laughs> <laughs> can I, is, is anybody in America actually falling for this I'm defending my wife as if Hillary Clinton wasn't in herself you know a grown up human being with her own <laughs> professional issue you follow what I'm saying Delbert? Right. like she was this feeble little woman at home who needed defense of big bill <laughs> anyway Clinton <laughs> slick and he got you know what it worked Elmarie Cobb exactly it did <laughs> it did work Jerry Brown's campaign I don't think ever recovered from that now, you and I were the only two people for Jerry Brown <laughs> Oh, that's embarrassing. Uh, all right, we've already mentioned Bobby Rush and uh, Danny Davis. So let's talk congressional um, maps. Uh, the story broke. I think uh, my old pal Greg Hines wrote it for uh, Cranes. Give a shout out to Greg. Uh, he doesn't know anything about tips, but he did a good job on this story uh, about the congressional map. And uh, it looks as though the Democrats are trying to concoct uh, some congressional maps uh, in dealing with the loss of population, uh, Delmarie Cobb, uh, that would minimize uh, Republican advantages and maximize Democratic advantages. But that puts Bobby Rush and Danny K. Davis in a potentially precarious situation because the black populations in their congressional districts will fall. Uh, do you what's your general thoughts about what the Democrats strategy seems to be with the congressional maps? Well, you know, the the party in power is going to do what it needs to do to maintain the power. And, uh, and so I'm not surprised by any of it. Um, I think that, you know, we see, I've been talking about this forever in terms of the number of black people leaving the, the, the city of Chicago and Illinois and how it was going to have devastating effects on our representation. And I don't think people, I still don't think people are focused on it in terms of what it's going to mean for aldermen, what it's going to mean for state legislators, and what it's going to mean for congressional races. Um, It really is going to impact, and we've done nothing as a state to curtail the number of African Americans leaving the city of Chicago. And um, and when you were talking about earlier about the TIFs, I mean, that's a prime example of spending money where it's not needed, spending money and gent- to gentrify communities. In other words, to attract white people while you throw out black people, you get them out of here as fast as you can and hope that you get enough white people to replace their numbers. I mean, that was Rahm Emanuel's strategy, and that's one of the things I hold against him. 
Yeah, it was daily strategy as well, by the exactly. way. Uh, let's not let him off the hook. Uh, but uh, you're absolutely correct. But at least he knew how to play us. <laughs> yeah, he did. It took him a while, though. He stumbled right. out of the gates, right? right. Uh, but- in 1989, he stumbled out of the gates. Uh, but, um, yeah, I, I personally... I saw the, uh, according to uh, Greg's story, uh, Bobby Rush would emerge with a, um, I think the black population of his district would be a little more than 50%. And of course, things are changing all the time. Mm -hmm. So by the time of the election, who knows? And then you get it, like the percentages of people who actually vote. I have a hard time having said all that, seeing uh, Bobby Rush uh, lose. Again, a um, a congressional uh, primary is goes to the the person who has a plurality of the votes. You don't need a majority. There's no runoffs in the state of Illinois. So all Bobby Rush to advance the Democratic, uh, to get the Democratic nomination, which is the key to victory, needs is a plurality of votes. And and Delmarie, it's, I just have a hard time seeing uh, voters in Chicago reject Bobby Rush. And I think part of this, I said this to you earlier, but it, it's, I think it's things like um, the movie that just came out about Fred Hampton, Judas mm-hmm. and the black Messiah. And there is a character playing a young Bobby Rush with the glasses and everything. And I'm just like, it's emboldened it in it's emblazoned in people's minds that at a crucial time, a critical moment in history, 1969, when the, the federal government was going after uh, the Black Panthers, Bobby Rush had the guts to stand up. I just think that's Bobby Rush has changed over the years. He endorsed Bill Daly. You know, I'm not saying he walks on water, but I'm just saying that image is burned into people's brains. And I think it'll be very hard to defeat him. What's your thoughts about that? Well, I, as I said earlier, I did Bobby Rush's campaign for Congress in 1992. And we were worried about the Black Panther connection. Um, I mean, I saw it as as a not something to run from uh, necessarily because I thought it was a good thing being an activist and being a warrior uh, for other African-Americans. But there were many people who are part of the establishment who were worried you know, is this going to come back and haunt him? Can he run from that? It's one thing to be an alderman. It's another to be a congressman. And we were able to run, uh, run a campaign against an incumbent. Uh, the incumbent was um, Charlie Hayes. And uh, there were many people who were against, many people in the black community who were against Bobby running against Charlie Hayes at that time. Um, there were black people who were part of the establishment establishment who wouldn't speak to him, stop speaking to him, because the plan was that um, uh, Sawyer, Eugene Sawyer, would run for uh, the seat after Charlie Hayes stepped down. And Bobby threw a, um, a wrench in the plan. Oh, yeah. Well, that by the way, that was a short-sighted plan because uh, Eugene Sawyer was so on the outs by 1992, he couldn't even get elected uh, to uh, committeeman of the sixth ward. I remember this. I wrote a story about it at the time. God, I've been doing this a long time, Bill Marie. Uh, you and me so, both. Yeah. <laughs> I remember the committeeman race of 1992. That's that's a cry for help. Um, but uh, uh, so, yeah, that's uh, a lot of politicians have a lot of ambitions, uh, but that was uh, 
that was a long uh, shot. Yeah. So yeah. So Bobby Rush surprised a lot of people by being uh, Charlie Hayes in '92. I think he, I think uh, that reputation will will help him. That legacy will help him. What about Danny K. Davis? In your opinion, what about his legacy and his reputation and his ability to survive a change in the congressional map? Well, we see he's. I mean, he's done well. He's won. He's beat all of his opponents overwhelmingly. Um, and I. And people don't remember this, uh, a, a lot of people, but, you know, he ran against Cardis Collins uh, three times. And had she not stepped down, he'd still be running against her losing. <laughs> you know, I mean, that's how powerful she was. And and uh, he's he's just as powerful. He's seen to, to as just as powerful, mainly because he has remained relevant. I mean, you see you see Danny everywhere. And he's talking about issues all the time. Now, you know, how effective he is that, you know, that's another story in terms. And I can't speak to whether he is or isn't, but I know that he's constantly bringing attention to issues. And that's part of being an effective uh, elected official. Uh, And um, I sent you an article that I wanted you to read. It was your homework assignment. (laughs) Uh, I don't know if you had an opportunity to read the story, but this is on my mind. I would love to get your reaction to it. So I'll just summarize it. I mean, if you didn't get a chance to read it, uh, the two, two gubernatorial candidates want to uh, get the Republican nomination to run against J.B. Pritzker. Uh, that would be State Senator Darren Bailey and businessman uh, Gary Rabin have uh, been urging Governor Pritzker not to accept any of the uh, federal relief money that would go to pay $300 uh, a week to people who are unemployed because it's a disincentive, they say, uh, it makes people lazy. It's a disincentive for people to work. And uh, my instinctive reaction when I hear this, Del Marie, I was saying this to David Moore before you came on, it just reminds me of the rhetoric I heard from Ronald Reagan in 1980 about welfare queens uh, driving Cadillacs and taking their food stamps and buying liquor. And it's just like, I'm like, how... <laughs> Well, I've just lived the rest of my life having to deal with this kind of rhetoric in my country. By the way, I just want to point out again that Darren Bailey uh, is a big farmer, has a farm downstate, and he takes federal uh, subsidies uh, to help him uh, deal with the the, the, uh, vicissitudes in the farm prices. So just saying, um, what's your reaction when you hear Republicans running uh, on a platform of I don't know. So heartless, heartlessness uh, and uh, and calling for cuts. What's your reaction to that? Well, the moment I heard that during the uh, period where COVID eased up and people started going back to work and the uh, economy started opening up and all of a sudden you heard Republicans talking about people. It was a disincentive to go to work. And, and my reaction was the same as yours. I'm like, oh, my God. The only people who think like that are Republicans. <laughs> I said, you know, nobody's thinking like that. And, 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 you know, it, the, I mean, I just, I just find it the most incredible rationale. You can't find a worker. And so the reason you can't find a worker, whoever that worker is, black, white, man, woman, is because they're sitting on the couch collecting $300 a week. And so they, oh, I'd much rather do this than go out here and work. I mean, it goes against everything that we believe in as a society in terms of dignity and work. People want to work. People don't want to sit at home and do nothing and be lazy. 
if anything, it might allow them to be a little bit more selective. They may not have to take a Walmart job. They may not have to uh, uh, clean floors. They may be able to wait for the, uh, another job that they're more qualified for. Um, I mean, so, but they're certainly not collecting $300 and sitting on the couch. Yeah, it seems like a strange platform the Republicans to run on. Uh, every, their, every response to the pandemic has been so twisted. Because I uh, just look at these guys, Darren Bailey, for one, the state senator. I don't know if you're familiar with him, the state senator from uh, down state, middle of the state of mm-hmm. Illinois. Would, first of all, said that he didn't think the pandemic uh, was real. Right. It was a hoax. Then he said he was against any of Governor Pritzker's uh, programs or requirements to wear masks mm-hmm. or have safe distancing protocols. That He said that he sued because he said that was mm-hmm. uh, a uh, totalitarian overreach by <laughs> a dictator. Uh, and, and so now that the pandemic is, uh, we're finally emerging from the pandemic, he's against any kind of relief to help people f- who have been hurt because we closed the economy. He opposed closing the economy on the grounds that it was going to hurt people. Now he's against helping the people that closing the economy hurt. I mean, this dude is just, no matter what the position is on the pandemic, he's got the wrong take on it. And this seems to be what's driving the Republican party. And and actually, if you listen to the things you just ticked off, the litany of things that he's done during this pandemic, who sounds like the crazy person here? (laughs) he does i mean i i mean you're not even taking into consideration the impact that this has had on people's lives in terms of their families and taking and and finding people who can help you take care of your families and being sure that i mean how do you go out and get a job we've already heard how women have been impacted by the pandemic, Mm -hmm. leaving the workforce because we're the caretakers. We've had to take care of our children. We've had to take care of our parents. We've had to take care of everybody. And so all of those things, if you take into consideration, you don't open the economy and suddenly you switch a light and everything goes back the way it was. It's going to take time yeah. for the economy to get back up and running the way it was in 2020 and 2019. And so instead of coming up with policies that are considerate of what people are going through, and clearly he isn't, I mean, why would you want anybody like him to be the governor when he absolutely has shown no empathy whatsoever or the ability to empathize with other people? Yeah, I, I I think it's a hard sell to put it mildly, uh, and I, it's another indication, in my humble opinion, the Republican Party has completely lost its way. Uh, <laughs> that these are the the front runners for the Republican uh, ticket. All right, uh, for, excuse me for the Republican nomination. Uh, Del Marie will close with a little local stuff. Uh, I know you you uh, follow very carefully uh, the debate over police oversight, uh, the machinations in City Hall. We talked about it a little bit with Alderman David Moore. Uh, what's your thoughts about the possibility that the city council may uh, approve over the threat of a mayoral veto and an oversight committee that would have the authority uh, to hire and fire uh, police superintendents? 
Well, as you know, um, GAPA was one of my clients, and I worked on this for a couple of years with them. And so I am so happy that both GAPA and CPAC found their way to come together and compromise and offer up a a uh, a compromise ordinance that addresses uh, police oversight, because this should have been done already. Uh, I mean, the mayor... Uh, Lori Lightfoot said it would be done within the first hundred days of her administration. And here we are in year two. And even at that, she's still offering up her own um, ordinance versus uh, accepting the ones that these people have worked on for years. And when you talk about meeting in the community and community meetings, both GAPA and CPAC have had multiple I mean, multiple, multiple, multiple over the years of community meetings. And so the things that they're proposing have risen from the ground up. These are grassroots suggestions and recommendations. They're not grass tops. And so I completely agree with them. And again, the ability to hire and fire the police uh, superintendent will be a part of a referendum that will go up for a vote. And if the people don't want it, then they will reject it. Yeah. And I think that should be the process. That's well put. Yes. That, uh, that, uh, there would be a referendum on the, this proposal. And if the people want mayoral control, they can get it. I'm not certain by the way. And, and I blame you for this bit of skepticism, skepticism <laughs> that I'm about to opine. Uh, I'm not certain that they will ultimately, uh, the city, uh, the Alderman have the votes to override a mayoral veto. Uh, I, yes, I, re- I read the same articles that you do, ladies and gentlemen, where, uh, J- Jason Irvin of the Alderman of the 28th ward is saying, Oh, the black legislative caucus, the city council has joined forces with the progressive caucus and the, uh, Latino caucus. And they have the votes. Delmarie Cobb, I've been watching. I've been watching Alderman peel away from these bold initiatives when it, uh, with a phone call from the mayor or the mayor's office, many, many times. Uh, and I am not certain that when push comes to shove, the votes will be there uh, to pass this over a mayoral veto. Uh, what's your prediction? Well, I'm with you, Ben. I have actually been in the middle of them. <laughs> We went to bed with the votes and woke up without them. (laughs) So I know that these calls are being made in the middle of the night (laughs) because I've seen it happen. And, and I scratch my head. I'm like, how does that happen? And so all you have to do is look at what happened when the city council, especially the, uh, the black caucus wanted to hold off taking a vote on the cannabis bill. And I mean, if if the black elected officials don't support that, can't stick together for that, (laughs) then what are they going to stick together for? And so, no, I'm just as skeptical as you are. And um, I will believe it when I see it. Yeah, I hope I see it, (laughs) but I will believe it when I see it. I, uh, I'm with you 100%. And let me just say it was Delmarie. Uh, in, in my defense, folks, if you say, oh, Ben, you're so cynical. It was Delmarie. Blame her. She was the one who put it in my head. She goes, oh, Ben. And they go, you know they're going to back away. And I go, you know what? I think she's right. Uh, all right, Delmarie Cobb, thank you so much for taking the time, as you always do, whatever I ask to come on my show. I appreciate it. And uh, we'll talk to you real soon, all right? And thank you.
All right. That's great. Del Marie Cobb, political strategist from the city of Chicago. Always fun talking politics with Del Marie. And of course, before her, Alderman David Moore, candidate for secretary of state. Haven't talked to David in a while. It's a pleasure to talk to David. So it's a lot of political talk for you junkies out there today. And there'll be more tomorrow. <laughs> we just keep shoving the political talk at you junkies. You're welcome. You're welcome. Uh, and I also want to thank the man, the myth, the legend, the pride of joy of Alton, Illinois, without whom this show would be possible. And as Delary Cobb, Alderman David Moore, and State Senator Darren D.B. Bailey will tell you, back home in Alton, they call him Dr. D. Give yourself a raise, take it out of petty cash. See you tomorrow, everybody. And remember, you can download previous Ben Jarofsky shows, Benny J. Bodas interviews, and so much more chicagoreader.com forward slash Jarofsky and wherever else you download podcasts. You can send us an email, Show at gmail.com. You can reach us on social media at Show B-E-N-N-Y, the letter J show. And you can call this program. It's true. We have a phone number, 708-658-4788, Leave us a voicemail. Don't believe me? Springtime.